It's possible to lead a team without psychological safety, but it's impossible to lead that team anywhere worth going. Hey leader, David Burke is here, organizational psychologist and author of four best-selling books on helping leaders and teams do their best work ever. And one of the key factors in whether or not a team can truly come together and do its best work ever is whether or not it has a sense of psychological safety. A psychologically safe team is one where team members feel safe to express themselves, safe to take risks, safe to fully disclose themselves. We might call that bringing your whole self to work or bringing your whole self to that Zoom call. It's one where the true diversity of ideas and opinions on a team can actually be harnessed into a productive conversation. It's one where taking Taking the risks that might lead to greater performance or greater results uh, feels safe because you know you're not going to be punished for every single possible failure. It's one where leaders make it safe to fail and then discuss that failure and turn that failure into new lessons and greater performance. At its core, psychological safety is marked by a mutual sense of trust and respect. And those are two different things. I have to trust you or trust the team in order to bring my full self to work, in order to share that crazy idea or admit that failure. And as you might guess, if I take that step out in trust and I feel disrespected, then I lose trust in the team, I lose trust in you as a leader. So you can't just build trust on a team, you have to build it alongside this respect and how people behave when they notice moments of trust. And in this episode, we're gonna break down both trust and respect and how to build both on your team. One of the interesting things we know about trust is that trust on a team is reciprocal. People step out in that trust, they feel respected as we talked about, and then they're more willing to trust. But it turns out that, that when someone is disclosing their failures to you, when someone is sharing that crazy idea, when someone is signaling uh, any vulnerability or any admission of failure, you feel trusted when you're on the receiving end of that. And we know from a myriad of research that you're more likely to respond with trustworthy behavior as well. So trust is a reciprocal process. And that means one of the first ways that you can kick off this cycle of trust is to be vulnerable. If you're in a leadership role or if you're an influential member of your team, to be vulnerable. Now, what I don't mean here is to be so vulnerable that everybody feels uncomfortable. I don't mean you need to share Everything, I don't mean you need to have you know almost naked levels of vulnerability. You don't need to tell people that you feel like your parents never loved you or that you didn't have a date for senior prom or you don't need to tell people your deepest, darkest secrets and insecurities. What you do need to do is be willing to admit your failures. Be willing to admit when you don't know something. There's so much power as a leader in just that phrase, I don't know. It's not okay to say, I don't know, and leave it at that. You need to say, I don't know, and then solicit opinions of other people or commit to finding an answer. But in that moment, in that moment of saying, I don't know, you're admitting to the team that you don't have all the answers, which means they don't have to pretend they have all the answers either. And as a result of stepping out in trust, your team will trust you more and they will probably reciprocate in turn and signal their own vulnerabilities. That over time continues this virtue of cycle of trust to where people feel like they really can bring their whole selves to work or at least their whole selves to this team. The second way to build trust on a team is to accept but learn from failures. Look, failures are going to happen. Right now, we can't ignore consistent failures. We can't ignore people who are just totally incompetent and constantly messing up. We're going to have to deal with that situation as a performance issue. 
But failures are going to happen from time to time. Clients decide to move on elsewhere outside of your control. Environmental changes that you didn't anticipate happen in, in the competitive environment or in the customer environment, et cetera. I don't know. Global pandemics destroy the supply chain, force as many people as can to work from home on Zoom calls in their pajamas, right? Unforeseen circumstances happen, and that leads to project failures from time to time. Failure is inevitable. Learning is a choice. Choosing to take the time after a failure to have an open and honest discussion about what went wrong, how can we fix it, what can we learn from it, what systems can we put in place to prevent it from happening again, that's a conscious choice that teams make. And usually only trusting teams make it. So if you're not doing that now, that means you as a leader need to be accepting and, and maybe even uh, celebrating failures so that you can learn from them. Celebrate the transparency when somebody comes out and said, yeah, I made this assumption and it turned out not to be true. You might, to go back to signaling vulnerability, have to go first in admitting that. But then when other people come forward and admit where they need help, admit their mistakes, admit their mistaken assumptions, celebrate that fact. Attach that to a new learning in a way we as a team are going to get better and then make sure the person who admitted that failure knows that we would have never gotten better had it not been for them and their willingness to share that mistake. Maybe not make that mistake, but to share that mistake. Now, not only does that improve learning on the team, but it improves trust because people know I'm not going to be penalized for screwing up every once in a while. And so they'll take greater risks, which will lead to either greater performance in the short term or greater learnings in the long term. Either way, trust is increased and performance is increased over time. So we also need to be focused on the second element of what makes a psychologically safe team, and that is respect. Just like we talked about with failures, people need to feel that when they take that risk, they're not being ostracized, they're not being denigrated, they're not taking it personally. People need to feel when they step up and share that crazy idea that you didn't shoot it down right away, that'll never work, we don't have the money for that, we tried something similar, et cetera. They need to feel listened to and considered. You don't have to accept every idea but you do need to make sure your people feel listened to if you want to keep new ideas coming. You also have to teach your team how to respectfully communicate with each other when those moments where you're not in the room, but moments of risk are happening, moments of vulnerabilities are happening, crazy ideas are being shared, and so you model the way. The first way you can model that way is to model active listening. This is simple things like making sure that when people are sharing their ideas, you're not staring at your phone or at your laptop or checking an email, but that you're actually listening. You're making eye contact or, or faking eye contact by making camera lens contact if you're on a Zoom call, that you're nodding your head, that you're showing little moments of appreciation, some ums and ahs. Make sure you're following up with intelligent questions, not questions that challenge them, but questions that signal that you were listening, uh, maybe even questions questions that check for understanding and questions that further their thought process more. If you model that on a regular basis, people not only become more willing to share those ideas on your team, but they start to copy that behavior when they discuss with each other. And as a result, everybody starts to feel more respected. Where this is particularly difficult is the second thing to be focused on in building respect, which is treating conflict as collaboration. It's really hard to model active listening and acceptance when someone shares the craziest idea you've ever heard, or when someone tries to shoot down your idea and assert their own. But when that happens, people are watching you, and they're watching for how you respond, and if you respond respectfully. Do you treat that conflict truly as a form of collaboration? Here's what that means. It means you're not shooting the idea down right away. It means you're not insulting the person, obviously, and you're not insulting the idea. It means those questions pivot from checking to understanding to questions about the assumptions behind the idea. So you're not saying that'll never work because we don't have the budget. You're asking, 
it sounds like you're assuming we could do this for you know, X amount of budget or X amount of resources. Do we know if that's true? In fact, one of the things I like to do if I have no idea what the assumptions behind an idea are is when that idea that's in conflict with me comes up, I'll ask a simple question. That's a really great suggestion. I'm wondering here, what would have to be true for that to be our best option? In other words, our ideas are in conflict, so let's call a timeout and let's collaboratively come up with the, the metrics of success, the way we're going to grade the idea. Then we can circle back and we can have a productive conversation about whose idea is best. And if we go with your idea, great. If we go with my idea, actually still great because you feel heard and considered, you feel respected, and so you're gonna be more likely to share your ideas moving forward. So if you think about that scenario, you can very easily see how respect facilitates trust, how trust needs to be met with respect, and how these things become cyclical and reciprocal. Yes, you need to build trust on a team to build a psychologically safe team, and you need to do that by trusting your team first. But you also need to recognize the moments people on your team are trusting you, and make sure you're modeling respectful behavior in kind. If you do that, you'll start to kickstart that cycle. If you do that, you'll build both trust and respect on your team, and that will lead to a greater sense of psychological safety, which we know from a myriad of research, personal experience, and probably your own experience, psychological safety becomes that thing that truly helps everyone do their best work ever. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. And if you really liked it and you want to go deeper and lead smarter, then check out the amazing resources we have for you at davidberkuscom slash resources. Guaranteed there's something in there that'll help you or your team do its best work ever.